love Christmas. I love celebrating Christmas. But I love the new year. I, I believe that the new year is a gift that God gives to us every year. And so I get excited about the new year because I like to, I don't call them resolutions. I call them goals. They just sound more permanent than resolutions. But I set goals every year. I set goals physically, things that I want to do physically, walking and working out, doing things. I set goals intellectually. I want to read a certain number of books. And I set goals spiritually. I want to achieve certain things spiritually. I believe that, you know, we can't cause it. You know, God's the one who causes the spiritual increase in our life. But we can put ourselves in positions. We make ourselves available to God so that God can work in our lives. So I want to read the scripture. I want to spend a certain amount of time. And so I, I set those goals every year. And so I get excited. And as I was thinking about what we want to think at going toward the new year, 2015, Colossians 1 came to mind. Let's begin reading in verse 12. And I know if you have New American Standard, that's kind of mid-sentence, but the thought is, is there. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And that's our thought this morning, that Christ this year would have first place in everything in our lives. Verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we, we desire, as we were just singing, as the deer pants for the water brook, so our soul pants for thee, O God. Our soul thirsts for God, the living God. Lord, we pray this morning that you would create in us a thirst for the things of God, for the word of God. Lord, and, and above all, for you the person of our Heavenly Father, that we would seek you. Lord, not just seek in your hand as we want you to move and work, but Father, teach us to seek your face, God, that we might know you more intimately, more personally. And Father, our desire this coming year is that Jesus Christ is worthy, we know, to have first place, but that we, as your people, would make Christ first place in everything in our life this year. God, give us your wisdom as how best to do this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The other day I was on an elevator, and a, a lady got on, and I, I was on, she got on, and she said, would you mash the button for the sixth floor? So I did that. I mashed the button. And as I began to think about it, I said, you know, this lady has to be from the South. Because where else do you mash a button? <laughs> you ever think about that? I've, I instinctively mashed the button. You know, I, I did it. And if you'd asked me what'd you do, I said I mashed the button. 
But we, you know, you press a button in most places of the country. But I thought to myself, now this lady has to be from the South. Bless her heart. You know, she's a Southern. And, and I thought about that. There's some things that we do and say that obviously make things obvious about us. And I believe that when Jesus Christ is the passion of our life, when Jesus Christ has first place in everything, we're going to be different. People will know. People you live with, people who know you best, they know your passion. You may say one thing, but as they observe your life, they will know your genuine, real passion. They will know what's first place in your life. And so this morning, we want to look at why should Christ be first place in our life. And we're going to look at those truths, and these are deep theological truths worthy of our full attention. But to be honest, I want to spend most of our time this morning talking about how do we make Christ first place in our life. I do hope that you have a bulletin because it's going to be very important because we're going to look at a quote at the, towards the end. Well, really all throughout, but at the, at the bottom of the, the bulletin there, there's a prayer that we're going to be looking at as well. But let's begin and sometimes I get in a hurry and I skip over some points. If I miss one, just stand up and holler at me. But why, why does Jesus Christ, why does Jesus Christ deserving a first place in everything? Why is he deserving a first place in everything? Well, Paul tells us three things in this passage this morning. First of all, he tells us that God, through Jesus Christ, has rescued us from darkness. Look at verse 13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So in Christ, God has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He has redeemed us. The term, the idea of rescuing is that God has bought us out. He, has, he not only brought us out, but he bought us out. There's a price that had to be paid. There was an act. There was an action that had to be done to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness. And not only did he take us out of darkness, but he has brought us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved son. We, we, this is so appropriate to Christmas. We've said in Isaiah 9, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Now, this morning, I, I don't want to take anything for granted, but I'm going to assume as believers here that you know what it's like to be transferred from darkness into light. Now, this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you know, again, you're living in darkness really in two ways. We all were there. It's the darkness of understanding. We didn't understand the gospel. It's the darkness of ignorance where we, we don't understand what the gospel is all about. You know, you know, Ford used to have a commercial, Ford has a better idea and the light would come on. And th that's a symbol of knowledge. But when we're in darkness, we don't know God. We, we don't understand what the gospel is all about. But as a believer now, we, we can remember what that was like. We lived in the darkness of ignorance. And God has brought us out of that darkness into a relationship, a knowledge. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you may know God. And that's the key to the Christian life is we know God. But also there's the darkness of sin. You know, sin is, is dark because, you know, you ever wonder why all those honky-tonks and bars are so dark? You say, well, preacher, how do you know that? Well, the deacons told me that it's real dark in those places, okay? Well, they're dark for a reason. <laughs> they're dark for a reason because people love darkness rather than light. We don't like 
for people to see what we're doing wrong. And that's the darkness of sin. And we know what that's like. And you see, the non-Christian says, well, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want no Bible telling you. Know, the the non-Christian, the lost person, they don't do what they want to do. They do what they have to do. And that's sin. The Scripture says we're slave of the ones we obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. The lost person doesn't do what they want to do. We didn't do what we wanted to do before we came to Christ. We did what we had to do. We were slaves to sin. But God has rescued us through his son. He has rescued us from darkness. He has bought us. When the light of the gospel shines in our heart, we see our sin. We confess the need of our Savior. And then through repentance and faith in Christ, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved. He has rescued us. He has redeemed us. He bought us with his own blood. I want to show you a little golden nugget in Psalms this morning. Psalm 49.7. Psalm 49.7. He's talking about this rescuing, this redeeming. The psalmist understood this. Look at 49.7. No man, no man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For redemption of his soul is costly. Think about that for a minute. As much as I love my wife or love my children, no man can redeem their soul. Their redemption is too costly. God did for us in Jesus what no man could do for himself or even for his loved ones. He has paid that costly price. He has redeemed us by his, with his blood. So not only has he brought us out of darkness into his light, but we have now become a part of his the kingdom of his beloved son. Look at that. What, it, what does that mean? It means that we're a part of his family. Not only did he forgive us, pardon us, but he adopted us. He brought us into his family. That's what God has done for us in his son. Brought us out of the darkness of ignorance, out of the darkness of sin, into the kingdom, the light of his beloved son, seating us at the table with him. So Jesus deserves first place. What a Savior. Secondly, Paul says in verse 15 that God has that Jesus has revealed God to us. He's rescued us. He's redeemed us. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Through Jesus. You know, Philip asked an interesting question or made a, an interesting demand. In John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip said to Jesus, he said, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Show us the Father and it is enough for us. So the disciples, those who were intimate with Christ, said, Jesus, show us God. Do you remember Jesus' response? He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's exactly what Paul is telling us here. He tells us who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. All the fullness of God dwells in him. Paul tells us what Jesus did as God. He created all things. All things have been created through him and for him. 
Now Paul tells us where Jesus is as God. He is before all things. He is the head of the church. You know, it's been interesting, just kind of being totally honest here. For many people said, well, now who's the pastor of Alberta Baptist? I said, well, Kobe's the pastor. I'm the pastor. I said, how does that work? I said, well, Jesus is the head of the church. It's Jesus' church, and we both work for Jesus. We're both equipping the saints. That's how it works. Because Jesus, where is he? He is the head of the church. He is the head of all things. He is to have first place in everything. Jesus has rescued us. Jesus has revealed God to us. Thirdly, we see in verse 20 that Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. And through him, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. See, our sin separates us from God. God is a holy God. We're talking about this concept of light. The scripture says that he is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. He is perfect. But yet we're all sinners. We sin by, we're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. But Christ, through the blood of the cross, has reconciled us to God. It's so important for us to remember when Christ died, the scripture says when he breathed his last breath, that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. It was torn in two. Why? Symbolizing that now men through Christ can have access into the very presence of God. John Piper has written an interesting book called God is the Gospel. And that's the point here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. Christ died for sinners once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Knowing God, having a relationship with God, that is the gospel. And that's what God, what Paul says that Jesus has done for us on the cross. He has reconciled us to God. Paul now says in verse 22 that he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. How can he do this? How can he present you and me holy and blameless above reproach? Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ took our sin, we take his righteousness. My, oh my, what what an amazing, miraculous exchange. He took your sin, he took my sin, and he gives us his righteousness. That's how we are reconciled to God. That's why he must come to have first place in everything. He's deserving. Now, for the meat of the message, how do I put Jesus? How do I put Jesus first place in everything? Look at, look at this prayer. Again, I have a little devotion book. It's called a book of something about prayers. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, it has prayers for the day. has scripture in there. And I was reading this the other day by Augustine or Augustine. It just depends on which syllable you put the emphasis, okay? So um, some people say Augustine, but eternal God, eternal God, who is the light of the minds that know you, the joy of the hearts that love you, and the strength of the hands that serve you, grant to us, grant us to know you that we may truly love you, and so to love you that we may fully serve you. Who is to serve? Who to serve is perfect freedom in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That prayer triggered these thoughts this morning. 
Because Jesus, Augustine says, is the light of the minds that know him. Jesus is the light of our minds. Jesus is the joy of the hearts that love him. Is the strength, the strength of the hands that serve him. You get that? The light of the minds, the joy of the hearts, and the strength of our hands. So I said, hey, that's how you put Jesus first place in everything. If he's Lord of my mind, my head, if he's Lord of my heart, he's going to be Lord of my hands. That'll preach, amen? So that's what, this is how we do it. We make Christ Lord of our mind. He must be first in my head. Eternal God, who is the light of the minds that know you. We first of all have to have an enlightened mind. That's what Christ does for us through the gospel. He enlightens our minds. He is the light of our minds. He is the wisdom of our minds. That's how we can have a knowledge of an eternal, omnipotent God in a infinite, I mean in a temporal body. God allows us to have a relationship with him. He is the light of our minds. It wasn't always like that. Ephesians 4:17. We got this for us up here, Ephesians 4, 17. Paul says, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer. Now, what does that mean? This is no longer. This is, not the way, this is not the way you do it now. You used to do it like this as the Gentiles, the godless. You no longer walk as the Gentiles. How did they walk? In the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, separated from God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. You see that what the gospel does, it enlightens our minds. It changes our heart, which changes the way we think. Paul says we once walked in the futility of our mind. What does that mean? We, we think we chase after things that are futile, that are meaningless. We give our lives to causes that really don't, they're not eternal. They really don't matter. Our thinking is bigger and better and bigger and better. The futility of our mind is the way we thought before our minds were enlightened by the gospel. As Augustine said, Jesus is the light of our minds. He changes our mind. He changes the way we think. So I want him to have first place in my mind, in my head, by first of all making sure that I've got an enlightened mind, that I understand what the gospel is all about, that my life has been changed Notice the, notice the relationship there in Ephesians 4, 17 between the, the mind and the heart. Notice the relationship. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. What does that tell us? That You know, this whole thing of our faith is not going to be won on an intellectual basis. Now, it's intellectually sound. Don't get me wrong. But the gospel penetrates the heart first, which changes the mind. You understand that? The gospel penetrates the heart first, which enlightens and changes the mind, changes the way we think. So for Christ to be first place in my head, I've got to have an enlightened mind. Secondly, I need to continually have a renewed mind. A renewed mind. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like everybody else. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
That transformation is a continual process. We talked about in Sunday school, already not yet. We're already saved, but we're not yet what we're going to be. We're being transformed into the image of Christ from glory to glory. How do we do that? By the renewing of our minds, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we have a renewed mind? Well, it begins by having a mind that's been enlightened by the gospel. That Jesus is the light of our mind. We have a relationship with God by understanding the gospel, but also by having our minds renewed daily in the Word of God. Consistently, constantly filling our minds with truth. You know, someone has said that, you know, we're like computers, junk in, junk out. Think about that for just a moment. What are you going to do this year to protect your mind? What are you going to do this year to renew your mind? Again, I'm assuming you've had a renewed, a renewed mind, I mean, an enlightened mind. But what are you going to do this year to renew your mind daily? For some of us, that means we're going to turn the TV off or maybe schedule certain times. You can only watch football and important things like that. But maybe, maybe we're going to stop reading certain things. We're going to start. One of the things I have is that I want to begin to read more at night and in the morning, just before I go to bed. Reading, I'm reading the. Uh, the story of the life of Leonard Ravenhill, a great preacher. just inspires me. Reading good books, renewing our mind, but most of all, being in the Word of God, have our minds renewed daily. When we do that, we do not become conformed to the world. We refuse to think like the world. I will not be conformed to the world's image by believing the world's philosophy. I'm going to put things into my mind. If you ever have a question, what should that look like? Go to Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, of good reputation, if anything worthy of excellence, let your mind dwell on these things. Okay? If it's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good reputation, worthy of excellence, think about it. Watch it. Read it. But I want to first pray for Jesus to have first place in my mind. I need an enlightened mind, a renewed mind. Thirdly, we need to have a fixed mind. Fixed mind. Now, these are just three things I thought of like that. Um, the scripture's full of things about the mind. You, I mean, you would be amazed. But Isaiah 26, 3, I like the King James, said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. A fixed mind. I'm going to keep my mind stayed on the Lord, fixed on Christ daily. This is a good time to give a shameless plug for our church-wide Bible reading program, the McShane Bible reading program. You'll find it in the bulletin every Sunday. Four chapters a day. Two from the Old Testament, two from the New. I think it's kind of a schedule all the way through, but you can read the entire Bible through in a year by following this plan. And what will that do? It will open up your heart and mind to the things of God. It will allow you starting your day. Hopefully you do it the first part of the day or at the end of the day. Then, you know, sometimes doing it at night's not bad. You know why? Because you sleep on it. And that's not a bad thing. You sleep on God's Word. Whether you do it in the morning or do it at night, fix your mind on the things of God by keeping your mind stayed on Him. Augustine says, Eternal God, who is the light of the mind, our head, I want for Jesus to be first place in my head that we may know you, the joy of the hearts that love you. How can he be first place in my heart? How can I experience more deeply this year the joy of loving Jesus in my heart? 
Again, I thought of three things. You can go a hundred different directions. But first of all, <clears throat> to make Jesus first in my heart, I need to have a united heart. A united heart. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. This is key. Because, see, again, the heart is where our passion comes from, doesn't it? And we can become so passionate, or we can become passionate about so many different things. God, I want to be passionate about you. I want to have a heart that's united in one purpose, and that's to love God. The joy of the heart, the joy of loving Jesus. I, I love the way Augustine says that, that you, you are the joy of the hearts that love you. Unite my heart to fear your name. Give me an undivided single heart. There are too many things that vie for the attention of our heart's affections. If, not, if we're not careful, we can become passionate. We can become passionate about things that don't really matter. Now, I'm telling you, I'm going to New Orleans. I love Alabama football. I mean, I think it's great. Someone said that, uh, what is the deal? Football makes a good uh, pastime but a lousy God. You know, there's some of us who can allow, become so passionate about football. Let me tell you, as I said at the outset, what we're passionate about, the people who know us best will know that. God, give me a united heart to fear your name, a singleness of heart. Secondly, give me a guarded heart, Proverbs 4.23. Again, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Your very life, the very ebb and flow of your life comes from your heart. Everything about you that people recognize, it comes from your heart, what you're passionate about. So the, the Solomon says, guard your heart. Be careful. What can I do this year to put a guard over my heart? You know, one of the things that comes to mind is Scripture said in Philippians 4, to be anxious for nothing and pray about everything, and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. So maybe prayers could be linked into that. Brother Colby and I were talking about this year, and everything comes under the umbrella of prayer. Every vision we have, everything we emphasize comes under the umbrella of prayer. How can I have a guarded heart by spending time in prayer, but also protecting my heart? And the idea here in, in Proverbs, to guard is to protect it from attack. Did you know that your heart is going to be attacked this year? You will have a heart attack, not literally, but you will have things that will be attacking your heart. Satan, he knows where to attack. So guard your heart. Put up guards. Put up boundaries in your life. Put up a guard. Again, going back to the Word of God. And again, all this is through the grace of Christ in our life as he's working in us and working through us. <clears throat> guard your heart. That's why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Let me ask you this morning, do you have anxious thoughts? Are there dangerous, hurtful attitudes developing in your heart? Am I following after Christ with all my heart? I need to set up a guard over my heart. Number three, a loving heart. Paul said in Romans 5, <clears throat> hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. See, we can and must have a loving heart 
because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God changes our heart. We have to let go of our bitterness and allow the Holy Spirit to love us and to love other people through us. That's what God, Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. So we have to let go of our bitterness. And this is how we truly experience the joy of loving God. We love others because we know he loves us. We forgive others because we know he has forgiven us. And so we need to have a loving heart. So Jesus needs to come to have first place in my head, in my heart, and then finally in my hands. Again, Augustine said, Eternal God, who is the light of the minds that know you, the joy of the hearts that love you, and the strength of the hands that serve you. Thinking of, again, three areas where our hands, Luke 9, 62. But Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this morning, have you literally, figuratively, have you put your hand to the plow for Christ? Do you know what God wants of your life? Do you know God's call on your life? Your life's work? You know, as I, I've, one of the things we want to do at Alberta Baptist, we want to make disciples. We want to make disciples. You know, someone said, well, I work at the factory, but I make disciples. You know, our vocation is not necessarily what, what God has called you to do. Now, some of you, doctors, lawyers, all that kind of stuff, you got these professions. You say, well, this is what God's called me to do. But God's called you to make disciples, called all of us to make disciples. And we'll be talking more about it. But we, have we put our hand to the plow, not looking back and say, you know, I'm going to follow Christ with all my heart. I'm going to serve Christ with all my heart. And you may not even know, but I'm going to discover God's will for my life, God's work for my life. This is what God has called me to do. I've put my hand to the plow, a committed hand, and I'm not looking back at what I used to do. Secondly, clean hands. Y'all got to listen faster. Clean hands. Psalm 24.3. The psalmist said, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to do something really weird right now. I want you to look at your hands for just a moment. Everybody, hold them up. Look at them right here. <clears throat> what is the work of your hands? What is, what, what is the work of your hands? What is it that God has called you to do? And now, do you have clean hands and a pure heart? Have these hands been cleansed by the blood of Christ? Can I stand before God? Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy presence? But he who has clean hands and a pure heart. It's available to all of us because of the blood of Christ. I guess the verse most all of us learned in grammar school or vacation Bible school, if we confess with our, excuse me, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. That's how we can have clean hands. There's probably not a person in this room today who has not done something that they're ashamed of. And we would have dirty hands were it not for the grace of God. But we can have committed hands. We can have clean hands. And last but certainly not least, helping hands. 
Jesus said, if we give even a cup of cold water in his name, we will not lose our reward. And again, this statement is profound because Jesus is not looking for people with great ability. He's looking for people with availability. Again, look at your hands. Are these the hands, helping hands, are these the hands of Christ? Am I willing to allow them to become the hands of Christ? It's, it's no accident that I went with helping hands because that's one of the greatest ministries we have at Alberta Baptist Church. These ladies right now and, and some men are working together to make a difference in this community through the helping hands ministry. But we need more help. We need more money. We need more resources. We need more people together to impact this community through the helping hands. Why? Because we want to be the hands of Jesus in this community. We want to put feet and hands to the gospel in this community. Helping hands, being the hands of Jesus. And I love what Augustine said, our service comes from the fact that we love Christ. To know him is to love him, and to love him is to serve him. Grant us to know you that we may truly love you, and so to love you that we may fully serve you, who to serve is perfect freedom in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where we find true freedom, is being a bond slave to Jesus Christ. As we close, you know, all preaching is an invitation. Did you know that? For some preachers, they spend most of the time in the invitation, but the whole sermon is an invitation. God, through his word, is inviting us as believers to a greater, more intimate relationship with him, as non-believers to come to know him by having your mind enlightened, to be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, to have a seat at the table through Christ. That's what the gospel offers to each of us. We can have our sins forgiven, our mistakes. You know, the new year is great. It's a great time to start new things. But the gospel says, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Think about that. That's what attracted me to the gospel. I understood it. In Christ, I could be totally forgiven. My past, white, clean. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I pray this year that Christ Jesus will come to have first place in everything, our head, our heart, and our hands. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for these thoughts. God, we pray that they would encourage us, convict us, challenge us. Lord, comfort us. Lord, I pray if there's one here this morning that does not know Christ, I pray that today would be the day they'd come to know Jesus in a personal way. To know, K-N-O-W, to know God through Christ. That is the message of the gospel. And Lord, when that happens, you transform our head, our heart, and our hands for your glory. Father, I pray for Christians who have been just kind of sitting idly by. They've never totally put their hand to the plow. Maybe they put their hand to the plow, but it's the wrong plow. God, I pray this morning that you would convict us Show us our life's work. Lord, you've called us into your kingdom, not to sit, soak, and sour, but to serve. Lord, to be your ambassadors in this city, in this town. Father, I thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts. Lord, I pray. Lord, I just pray for a spirit of revival. God, I pray that you just stir the hearts of your people to know you, to love you, and to serve you like never before. That's our prayer for this coming year. In Jesus' name. Amen. We stand together as we close our time of invitation. If you don't know Christ, we invite you to come today. One of us will be glad to share with you and pray with you.